Well, as I was preparing for today, I was just thinking about the fact that there are some there's some movies that I can watch over and over again, and they are so great that I still feel the tension when the tension comes. I still want the, the plot to change so that that tension doesn't come. Or when someone makes a sacrifice of their life for the salvation of others, it still gets me. I still appear to have something in my eye. So, uh, for those here who are, I know we have people of all ages here, so for some of you younger people who have seen Avengers Endgame, that's one of those movies for me. That when it seems like Thanos has won, that there is nowhere else to go, that all hope is gone, I feel that tension. Like I still feel it, I still wonder if it's all gonna work out even though I've seen the end. And so even when Iron Man snaps and it changes everything, in that moment, like it can still bring me to tears because the sacrifice is so significant, it's so compelling, it's so awe-inspiring. And I think about what, what our hope is for today, and I would say that it is that. That as we come to another Good Friday, we do this every year. And the tendency is to just say, yes, it's one more time where we remember what Christ accomplished on the cross. And yet, here's the reality. The reason we are able to call this Friday good, or the reason that we're able to sing a song which we just sang, I don't know if you know the name of it, but the name of the last song we sang is The Wonderful Cross. How can we call the cross wonderful? It's because we know that even when it seems like it's the end, it's not the end. That even when it seems like all hope is lost, it isn't. We know how the story plays out. And yet it is good and right for us to step into this moment on Good Friday and to feel the tension of the story. That God who took on flesh bore the weight of all of our sins. And he gave his life like he, he endured the wrath of God. The wrath of God was poured out upon the Son of God for your sins and mine. The goal of today is that we would, we would allow ourselves once again to, to feel that tension and to, to, to sit in awe of the reality of the sacrifice that was made for you and for me. And so here's what I want to do just for a short time today. I want to invite you to remember the cross. And there's three things I want to invite you to remember. Number one, I want to invite you to remember the reason for the cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Second, I want you to remember the reality of the cross. And then finally, I want us to remember the result of the cross. And I want to do it by looking at just one verse. One verse in the Bible. It is my favorite verse in the Bible in terms of unpacking the gospel. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. So if you have a Bible, join me in 2 Corinthians 5. 21, but we're only looking at one verse and we're going to break it down piece by piece, part by part. Again, it's my favorite verse in the scriptures in terms of a verse that really unpacks for us what has been accomplished regarding our salvation. First, we remember the reason for the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this. It says, for our sake, he, that's God the Father, made him, 
that's Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we remember the reason for the cross, we look at the words for our sake. Those three words remind us of the reason for the cross. The reason for the cross was it has to do with our sake, for our sake, for whose sake? For your sake, for my sake, for the sake of a sinful world. And so let's just remember the, the fact that the cross was God acting on behalf of a world that had rejected him. The cross exists for our sake. As I was prepping, I just, I could not get past those three words. Those three words as I prepared, they just developed a new significance for me. And I want to invite you into that. So especially for the kids in the room, I want you to just imagine. And adults, if you want to play along, you definitely can. But I want you to imagine we have, we have the best drone that has ever been made. And what if we walked outside today and we, we put that drone into the air? Now just imagine that drone uh, going up high enough to where now you can see the entire city of Dallas from end to end. Now, the building of Watermark doesn't look that big anymore, right? Because you can see the entire city. Now, take that drone up all the way to where you can see the entire state of Texas from one end to the next. Now, the building of Watermark is practically microscopic. Now, take that drone all the way up to where you can see the entire United States at one, one time. The building of Watermark and everyone in it, you can't even be seen anymore. Now take that drone up all the way into outer space where you can see the entire earth at once. And with that in mind, listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. Isaiah the prophet says this, he, that's God, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. And so as the prophet Isaiah is writing this, he's, he's drawing a contrast between God and humanity. God is a cosmic king. And what is humanity? We are, we're just 8 billion grasshoppers. Now here's the reality. Anywhere, if... If you and I were confronted with 8 billion grasshoppers, what would we conclude? There's a plague. Like, it's more than a nuisance. It's a plague. And what the scriptures would say, God's, God is a cosmic king, and we here on earth, us grasshoppers, we are grasshoppers. We are meant to feel the significance of God and the insignificance of our existence. But that's not all. We're not just grasshoppers. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says this, all we like sheep. So the imagery changes from grasshoppers now to sheep. All we like sheep have done what? We've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. So now in this image, God isn't the cosmic king. He's the good shepherd. And who are we? We are the, the sheep that have wandered away from the shepherd. The shepherd is there to lead us, and we've insisted on going our own way. 
But we're not just grasshoppers. We're not the, just the sheep that have gone astray. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, watch this last part, by nature, we were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So we're not only grasshoppers or wandering sheep, according to the Apostle Paul, we are dead men and, wa men and women walking. We are physically alive, but spiritually dead. We're not bad, meaning we just need to start being good. We're dead, which means we are incapable, incapable of doing anything that would be pleasing to God. We're not just dead. The text says we're children of wrath. And if that wasn't bad enough, then you look at what Paul tells, tells us in Romans 5.10 as he starts it out. He says, for if while we were God's enemies. So if you just put it all together, like what's the picture when you look at scripture, what's the picture of humanity? We're insignificant grasshoppers. We're wandering sheep. We are dead men and women walking. We're children of wrath. We are enemies of God. And yet Paul starts 2 Corinthians 5.21 for our sake. For our sake, for the sake of the insignificant grasshoppers, for the sake of the wandering sheep, for the sake of the dead men and women, for the sake of the children of wrath, for the sake of the enemies of God, that, that doesn't compute. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. That's why Paul, he, he makes this argument in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Like, that's a pretty rare thing for someone to be like, you know what? I'll die for this person who is a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But this situation is different from that. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Do you feel that? Like for, for our sake. Like if that just rolls right past you, if, if that just bounces right off of you, then the question is, have you just grown so callous to it? Or does something not truly believe that you're an insignificant grasshopper? Something in you is being told by the world, no, you are significant. Or you know what, you're wandering as a sheep isn't that bad. Or to say that you can do nothing to please God, something deep down in you is like, yeah, but... But I could. Or the word enemy of God just feels a little too strong. No, for our, for our sake. For our sake, for your sake, for my sake, the cross of Jesus Christ is a demonstration of God's love towards us. It was God acting on behalf of a humanity that had rejected him. And so this is incredible news because questions about God's goodness come to die at the cross of Jesus Christ.
When people call into question if God is really good, those questions about God's goodness, they come to die at the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of three words, for our sake. That God looked at a people in a world that had rejected him, and yet he moved on our behalf. Friend of mine, pastor, friend Greg Mott, he says this, even if God never gave us another thing, he's already given us too much. Even if God never gave us another thing, he's already given us too much because he operated for our sake. But in order for us to behold the beauty of the cross, we have to grasp the severity of our sin. In order for us to behold the beauty of the cross, we have to grasp the severity of our sin. Remember the reason for the cross. It was for our sake. Now let's remember the reality of the cross. The reality of the cross. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, for our sake, he, that's God the Father, made him. God the Father did something strategic with God the Son. What I, what I want us to remember when we talk about the reality of the cross is that the cross was a part of God's sovereign plan. Like every aspect of the cross was planned by God. That's why Acts chapter 2 verse 23 says this, this Jesus delivered up according to what? According to the definite plan in foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was God's definite plan for Jesus to be put to death. Octavius Winslow, a pastor from England in the 1800s, said this, who delivered up Jesus to die? Good question. Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jews for envy, but envy, but the Father for love. That's who delivered Jesus up. The Father delivered up his Son for love. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10 puts it this way. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Do you see that? It was God, God the Father's will to crush his Son which is amazing to think about because when we see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he is betrayed and arrested, what is he praying? He's saying, not my will, but your will be done. What is that Jesus, as we find him in the garden, what is he saying? He's saying yes to God's will to crush him. It was all according to God's sovereign plan. And so this is just so important. It's just good for us to have sober thinking to remember that if left to our own, there is no way. There is no hope. I deserved hell. You deserved hell. I deserved eternal separation from God. You deserved eternal separation from God. There was no way. There was no hope. And yet God created a plan, and God executed the plan to satisfy his wrath towards sin and make his enemies his children. Do you see that? God developed the plan. 
That's God the Father. But God executed the plan in the person of Jesus Christ. Only God could create the plan and only God could execute the plan that would satisfy his wrath for sin and make a way for his enemies to become his children. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So this is the reality of the cross. The reality of the cross is that on that cross, Jesus, who knew no sin, the sinless, eternal son of God who took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, he became sin. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that Jesus became sinful? Certainly not. I think John MacArthur explains it perfectly. Here's how he explains it. He says this, God treated Jesus on the cross as if he had personally committed every sin ever committed by every person who would ever believe. Do you see that? God treated Jesus on the cross as if he had personally committed every sin ever committed by every person who would ever believe. The prophet Isaiah explains it like this. In chapter 53, verses 5 through 6, he says, But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so let's just remember the reality of the cross. For, for our sake, Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends, but that wasn't the worst part. And for our sake, Jesus was denied three times by one of his closest friends and deserted by the rest, but that wasn't the worst part. And for our sake, Jesus was flogged most likely 39 times with a cat of nine tails, but again, that wasn't the worst part. And for our sake, Jesus endured soldiers twisting together a crown of thorns and forcing it into his scalp. But again, that, that wasn't the worst part. And for our sake, Jesus had to carry a cross that was probably about 110 pounds on his back that was torn up from his flogging. But again, that wasn't the worst part. And for our sake, Jesus had metal stakes driven through his wrists and ankles. But again, that wasn't the worst part. And for our sake, Jesus hung on the cross like a criminal for six hours, pushing up on the nails in his ankles, rubbing his torn up back along a wood cross just so that he wouldn't suffocate. But again, that wasn't the worst part. For our sake, Jesus experienced the fullest extent of God's hatred for sin. That was the worst part. That was the worst part. See, countless people experience the excruciating pain of Roman crucifixion. And countless people will experience the wrath of God for their sin because they go all of their lives rejecting Jesus' provision. But only Jesus. Jesus is the only one in all of history who will ever know the crushing weight of the sins of the world being put on him. And only Jesus Christ will know the weight and the pain and the torment of the wrath of God being poured out upon him. 
in experiencing the fullest extent of God's hatred for sin as the wrath of God was poured out on him and he was crushed for your sin and mine. John Stott, in his famous work, The Cross of Christ, he says this, at the cross, in holy love, God, through Christ, paid the full penalty of our disobedience himself. Do you see that? On the cross, Christ paid the full penalty, the full penalty, the full penalty for your sin, the full penalty for my sin, the full penalty for anyone who had put their trust in Christ was paid by Jesus Christ. It all fell to him. The one who knew no sin, the perfect eternal son of God, who left heaven and came to earth and the person of Jesus endured the wrath of God for our sake. That's the reality of the cross. Remember the reality of the cross. And then finally, remember the result of the cross. Paul says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him, in Jesus Christ, everything that we're talking about today, it is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Hope for eternal life is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness for your sins, salvation from eternal separation from God, it is only found in the person of Jesus Christ so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what people called the great exchange. The great exchange is this, God's righteousness to us, our sin to him. Let's just say that together. If you'll just say God's righteousness to us, our sin to him. Say it one more time. God's righteousness to us, our sin to him. That's the great exchange. When Jesus went to the cross, all, all of our sin went to him so that through faith in Jesus Christ, all of Christ's righteousness could come to us. And this is what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion. Because every other religion says, here's what you need to do to be good enough for God. Christianity says, there's nothing you can do to be good enough for God. And yet Jesus Christ has come and he has been good enough for you. And he's come to make you right with God. Every other religion says, here's what you need to do to get to God. Christianity says, you can't get to God. And because you can't get to God, God has come to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And he went to the cross and he bore our sins so that anyone who would put their trust in him could experience a great exchange his righteousness to us, our sin to him. Pastor friend Dan Dumas puts it this way. What we are talking about is God crushing his sinless son so that sinful enemies could become sanctified sons and daughters. This is why we can call this Friday good. And this is why we can call the cross wonderful. You know, I started by saying that there's some movies that every time I watch them, I feel the tension. I feel the sacrifice. And yet there's other shows that my wife and I can watch and we'll, we'll turn them on because we know that they're easy to turn off. We can turn them on and we can let them play in the background because we've seen them so, so many times 
that we no longer have to really see it because our enjoyment has in some way been capped. May it never be with the cross of Christ. This Good Friday, may we roll the tape back. May we remember the reason for the cross. May we remember the reality of the cross for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. And may we remember the result of the cross so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I, I want to give you a moment right now to respond in prayer. And so if you're here today, right here, on your lunch hour, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have for the first time in your life understood the beauty of the cross, that you've seen the severity of your sin, and you've seen for the first time your need for a Savior, that without Jesus there is no hope, if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ right now, then I just want to invite you in the quietness of your own heart. There is no magic prayer to pray. There is no rabbit's foot prayer to pray. But I just want to invite you even now to do business with the Lord and tell him what you want to be true. You can invite him into your life right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life today? Just say, thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead for me. Just say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of all of my sins? And would you begin to lead me in a new life with you as my Savior and you as my King? And if you're here today and you've known Jesus for a long time, then I just want to invite you in this moment to confess any sin that needs to be confessed, any sin that is in your life right now that just needs to be confessed. Maybe you're being reminded of the severity of your sin, that it was your sin that, that nailed him to the cross. This is just a moment for you to do business with the Lord, to confess that sin, to invite his forgiveness into your life for you to experience his grace, even in this moment on your lunch hour, take a moment. Just confess any sin that needs to be confessed. And then I just want to invite you to say thank you. Thank you. Thank God for the cross. As you remember the reason and the reality and the result, thank him for something, something that you heard in the message or that we sang in the songs that renewed your heart or your mind to the reality and the beauty of the cross. Whatever it was, whatever you heard, whatever you needed to hear, for whatever reason God brought you here today, would you just say thank you to him? for some aspect of the cross.
Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the cross. Father, I thank you. It feels weird to pray, and yet I thank you that it was your will to crush the Son. And I thank you, Son, Jesus Christ, that you live surrendered to the Father's will. And you went to the cross voluntarily. You were not a victim, Lord Jesus. You were a volunteer. You went voluntarily to the cross for our sake. I thank you that you died. I thank you that you were buried. And we will celebrate. Sunday is coming that you rose from the dead. But for now, we remember. And Holy Spirit, would you do a work in our hearts so that the cross truly is meaningful to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.